scripture passage for this morning's sermon is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Let's pray now that God will be with us this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you for the privilege of being at Elk River High School for a season, and we thank you for the privilege of being back here now. This feels like home, Father. We've been here a long time now, and so thank you for the gift. There's still transition to be done, but we trust you for the details, and we thank you for providing all the things that we will need to praise your name and to love one another and to love this city with the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to talk honestly about where we are as a church and where you're leading us as a church. And I give you my thanks, Father, before the fact for what you will do, because I know that you're with us, Lord. I know that you will use your word to guide your people, and I know that your name will be glorified as we seek to fix our eyes upon you, Lord, and to follow you all the way to the, to the day of our death or to the day of your return. So we give you our thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The future of the church is always bright when our eyes are fixed on Christ. It's just a huge idea. The future of the church is always bright, even in Iraq and Syria right now, when our eyes are fixed on Christ. The hope of the church is always on the rise when we trust not in what we can do or what we can't do, but in what God has promised to do. Not simply in what we think he will do, but in what he has promised to do. Our hope and his promises are deeply linked to each other. The security of the church is always growing when we cling to our Savior rather than gazing upon our circumstances. When we trust in his strength rather than melting into the difficulties and weaknesses that enshroud us. Glory of Christ is in a season of change. We're in a season of transition. And there are aspects of this season that are hard I think we would do well to say it out loud, to be honest about that, to process that together, to have open and honest conversation. But as we do that, we must work together to fix our eyes on Jesus, beloved, because if we do, our hope will be bright, our future will be secure in Christ. When our eyes are fixed on Christ, we not only survive storms, but we grow through storms. We not only get through, but we grow through. We become more like Jesus. He actually uses the trials, the temptations, the difficulties of life to shape us into our image if we'll simply have a heart to gaze upon him, to trust in him, and to follow him every step of the way. The key is not in what we're facing, but the key is in who is walking through our circumstances with us. So I pray with all my heart that in these days, as in all days of the history of our church, that we would learn with joy to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ and be satisfied in him. So today, I want to begin by taking us back to the beginning. I want to talk a little bit about the foundation of GCF and, and how First Peter 2, 9 through 11 became so important to us and just say a few things about that. 
And then I want to talk about the areas of worship, community, mission, and sort of deliver a, what could be thought of as a sort of state of the church address this morning. So back in the summer of 2005, I was at Bethlehem Baptist Church. I was serving on the church planting committee there. And we received a proposal from Greg Chafin and Mike Perry about the possibility of starting a church out in this area. And and to make a long story short, I ended up being appointed to come out and meet with these guys and see if this was a, 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 a possibility, a potential that was a good potential. We received lots of proposals like this. And some of them were good, some of them were not so good. So just as God would have it, I was sent out here to sort of vet this opportunity. Mike and Greg and I first met at Greg's home when he was living in Rogers. And we talked about a lot of things, but at some point, Mike turned our attention to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 in specific, and he asked me what I thought about the text. So let me read it for you again, and then I want to tell you what I said to Mike. Peter wrote, But you, plural, you all, are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. When we first read these words together, I said to Mike and to Greg that you need more than one text to build a church, but that all the seeds of truth that you need to to found a church are found inside this text. Everything you need for a healthy, holy, growing, God-honoring church is right here. This text is rich. And over time, we came to articulate the ideas that are in it through the mission statement of we're here to make disciples for the glory of Christ. That's the reason glory of Christ exists. We're here to make disciples. And disciples are people who are living lives of worship toward Jesus Christ, who are walking in love with other believers, and who are seeking to bring the love of Jesus into a world who desperately needs that love. So disciples are people who love Jesus, love one another, and love the lost. It's a simple way of life. We see it in 1 Peter 2. We see it all over the New Testament, and it is the vision of this church. It's simple, but it's biblical, and we believe it's a life worth living. GCF is a worshiping community on mission with Christ. I don't know if you're a note taker, but if, if you are, I encourage you to write that one down. We are a worshiping community on mission with Christ. We are that imperfectly. We have lots of growing to do. We have many more weaknesses than we have strengths, but that is what we are about. This is the vision of this church. This is the vision that has guided us all along the way. This is the vision that will lead us into the future that Jesus has for us until the day we die or until the day he returns. For the glory of his name, all we're trying to do is live a life of making much of Jesus, of loving each other, and of pursuing the lost. That's it. Lots of details in the life of a church, but we must not forget the simple, simple things. This is what we're about. So with this vision in mind, I want to address each of these areas now, worship, community, and mission. I want to begin by showing you in each area how Peter speaks into these things, and then I want to address some practical issues that we're facing. So let's begin by talking about worship. And if you'll turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to read verses 3 through 9 with you, because there's enough um, 
fodder. There's enough content just in these texts alone to cause us to worship Jesus Christ forever. There's a lot more said in the New Testament, but 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 is incredibly rich. Blessed or worshiped or praised be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our trials are for our good, beloved. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So why should we live lives of worship toward Jesus Christ? Well, there's several reasons given here. First of all, he has caused us to be born again into an eternal inheritance despite the depth and depravity of our own sin. And the more we realize our brokenness before we were in Christ, the more we will prize and praise him for what he has done for us simply in giving us life. Just the fact that Jesus gave us life is enough for us to worship him forever and ever. But there is more. He has given us a living hope that cannot die. People all over this world seeking for hope that is failing them left and right. The part of California I was just in right now is a very wealthy area. You can get a little condo there for about a million dollars. And there are people there that are hoping in the things of this world. And I promise you that one day the things of this world will fail every single one of those people lest they hope in Christ. But when we have hope in Christ, we have unshakable, eternal hope. Christ has given this to us. Christ has granted us an irrevocable inheritance that cannot be corrupted. And again, I can't help but thinking of all the wealth that I was just seeing out in California and realizing that the wealth we have in Jesus is so much greater than the wealth of this world. Jesus has promised to guard us by his own power from enemies that would threaten to destroy us. And I guess I would just say that if Jesus is on your side, you've got a pretty good person on your side. Amen? He said, I will, and this is in Isaiah, he said, I will strengthen you. And if God will strengthen you, you will be strong because he's pretty strong from what I understand. He's upholding the entire universe right now with nothing more than his words. He said, I will help you. And if God is helping you, you have quite the helper. He said, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And if God upholds you, nothing can possibly make you fall. Beloved, this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. He did this for us because of his work and the strong promises of God in Christ. Therefore, we rejoice in him. 
Therefore, we prize him, we praise him, we worship him, we submit to him, we look to him, we follow him, we surrender him, we give our all to him, we die to the things of this world for him, we die to the things of this flesh for him, we choose the greater treasure of Jesus over the treasures of this world because he has poured out his grace upon us in a measure we will never understand. He has blessed us with inexpressible riches, beloved, and therefore we give thanks to Him. We give praise to Him no matter what trials we endure because even in the midst of the trials, He promises us that He will will, uh, uh, purify our faith. It will test the genuineness of our faith and make it more and more and more pure until the final day when He returns and in the depths of our hearts we are trusting in Him alone. The trials we face, beloved, in the church or in our personal lives are gifts from Jesus Christ to purify and increase our faith. Oh, may we have eyes to see that even in difficult times, God is for us and he is not against us. And in that final day when he returns, our faith will prove to bear the fruit of honor and glory when we see Jesus face to face and we're transformed by the magnitude, the sheer power of his being. Beloved, that is a promise from Christ and he will surely do it. Peter says that we have not seen him yet with our eyes, but we have come to know him by grace through faith and therefore we love Jesus Christ deeply. For those of us who are walking with Christ, when he returns, we will certainly be surprised by the magnitude of his glory, but beloved, we will not be looking at a stranger. We'll be looking at the one that we've been walking with by faith, day by day by day by day. And so we cling to him, and for the time being, we don't need to see him, because his promises are enough for us. His presence is enough for us, and they do fill us with joy that is inexpressible and overflowing with glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always feel joy like that. Every single day of my life, I can't honestly say that I'm feeling an inexpressible joy that's overflowing with glory. But I'll tell you, the reason that I don't feel that moment by moment is because in some moments, my eyes drop off of Christ. If I would have eyes to gaze upon Christ and gaze upon nothing but Christ, I would know an inexpressible joy that would increase in measure forever and ever and ever and ever. I will tell you, Jesus Christ was the happiest man that ever walked this earth. And the reason is because his heart was perfectly pure and his eyes were perfectly fixed on the glory of his Father. And so his joy was increasing and increasing even when he endured the worst trial anybody has ever endured, namely being nailed up on a cross and taking the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Beloved, our joy in Christ will always be there when our eyes are fixed on our Savior. And so I pray, with all my heart, I pray that he will give us eyes to see and hearts to seek him. This is the vision of our church. This is the heart of the heart of our desire. Even the other things I'm going to talk about are just details that flow out of this detail. We have really one passion, and that is to see Jesus Christ for who he is to savor his glory in such a way that we would die to the things of this world, die to the things of our flesh, that we would prize him, that we would praise him, that we would exalt him in our hearts and in our families and in our church and in the world. We want to know Jesus and praise his holy name. That is the heart of the heart 
of the vision of GCF. And no matter what the difficulties, no matter what the circumstances, I plead with you, remember that. Remember that. The heart of the heart of our church is to fix our eyes upon Christ. Now most of you are aware that we're in need of a permanent worship leader. Over the last many years, seven years, we've been really blessed. The Lord first gave us a guy named Aaron O'Hara. He served us for two years. And now he's off planting a church, by the way, in Eugene, Oregon. He's doing very well. Has a very fruitful ministry out there. Steve Shepard served us for five years after that. In this last year, Tim Stokes and Orion Stimple have served us. God has been very faithful to bless us, and he will be faithful to bless us. God has provided for the worship of his name in the life of this church, and he will continue to provide. I have no doubt about that. I see that clearly as I pray. You can find the details as to what we're looking for on our church's website. I will tell you that I'm going to be adjusting that in the next day or two. So I really want to encourage you Tuesday, Wednesday or so to go to the website, look at the details of what we're looking for as far as a worship leader. But more than the details of what we're looking for as far as you know, just, just uh, job descriptions and stuff like that, what I really want to communicate is this. We are looking for a man who has the ability to see the glory of Christ and help us to see the glory of Christ. That's it. We're looking for someone who can give vent to the worship that's in the hearts of the people of this church. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're seeking for. And we must wait until God brings the right person. We could easily stick somebody in the spot. Believe me, there are a lot of people looking for places in churches. But we have to wait for God's man. Amen? So I want to call upon you to pray with me, to pray in faith that God would equip us to sing his praise in the coming days. And I'm really meaning what I'm saying. So often we talk about prayer, we think about things, and we call it prayer, but I'm asking you to actually pray with faith that God will equip us to sing his praise in the coming days. Let me tell you a personal story that has really nothing to do with the subject we're on right now, but will help illustrate what I mean to you, what I mean by, by uh, the, the phrase pray with faith when I say that to you. So most of you know that Kim and I over the last couple of years have faced some pretty serious financial struggles because of some health issues that are in our family and some very large medical bills that came along our way, and it's put us in a pretty serious tailspin. Well, this last summer as we were on vacation, we were up on the bluffs in southeast Minnesota, and we just came to a place of knowing that whatever grace God had given to us to get through the previous two years, we simply could not keep going in that direction and in that trajectory. And so we lifted up our lives before God, and we sacrificed everything to him. We told him we would do anything that he wanted us to do in order to address the problems that were there in our families, in our family. If I was to start a painting business, I would instantly double my income and we would be out of our problems in three, four, five months. And so even that was on the table. Lord, if you want us to leave the church and if you want me to paint houses so that I can provide for my family, I will do that. Please just let us know. Please, Lord Jesus, make a way. And we prayed and prayed, beloved. We prayed with faith. It just so happened, like, like it was some kind of uh, coincidence or something, right? that we were reading through the story of Hudson Taylor's life. And one verse that was extremely important to him was Philippians 4.19, which says, My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
He clung to that promise all of his life and he watched God provide time and time and time again. And God used that example in our life. So Kim and I began praying, Father, we are fine with you defining whatever you mean by need. But we're asking you to provide for our needs. We're trusting in you. We believe in you. You are a God who makes promises. You are a God who keeps his promises. You will provide for our needs because you said you would provide for our needs. And we began to give thanks to him. And God gave us tremendous peace. My wife loves to fish. So we would spend a lot of our time in Winona. She fished. I read books. And we had a good time because God gave us peace in spite of a difficult personal circumstance. Within a couple days of coming home, God had provided a job opportunity for, for us. Kim was offered a job that would kind of work. It would pretty much meet our needs. But as we prayed about it, we felt like the Lord was saying that you can take this job and it would be no sin, but if you have the faith to wait upon me, I have something even better for you. And so in the face of very difficult circumstances, Kim actually made the difficult call and, and called up the Isanti School District and said no thank you to a job that we really needed, but we trusted that God was with us. And without going into all the details, I wish I had time to tell you more details, but within two weeks from then, Kim was provided a job that she never knew existed, that she, to this day she's never actually applied for the job and she doesn't have the proper credentials for the job, but they really wanted her to be the third grade teacher at a Spanish immersion school, and that's what she is today. She's teaching Woodcrest Elementary School in Spring Lake Park, and God just did it out of left field. She interviewed for another job. This principal heard about the interview, called her up and said, I want to hire you. Not, I want to talk to you. I want to hire you. God did an astounding thing, and beloved, he provided double financially. He provided double of what we were asking him to provide for us. And I want to say that God did that in answer to prayer. He is a faithful God. When I talk about praying by faith, what I mean is praying God's promises and trusting that he will honor his promises. We don't know how long Kim will be able to keep the job, but we don't need it much longer, to be honest with you. Because there was a particular figure that we were praying, God, please provide this figure for us by December 31st so that we can meet this and this and that obligation. And over the last three weeks, the floodgates have opened and more than we had prayed for dropped out of the sky. It just came out of nowhere. For instance, I got a notice from an insurance company that we had a certain uh, policy that we didn't need any longer and my my uh, representative was, was suggesting that we cancel the policy, so we did, and we didn't know that that policy has been accruing money over the last 10 or 12 years, and we, all of a sudden, a big fat check ended up in our bank account. Out of nowhere, God provided, beloved. Six, eight weeks ago, we didn't see a way, and God made a way. So I'm, pl- I'm pleading with you, please, pray with faith that God will help us to sing his praise in the coming days. God can do it. He cares more about the praise of his name than any or all of us combined. Amen? He will provide so that we can give vent to our praise of him. And I pray that he will do that, and I encourage you to join us in that. I want to talk with you about the vision for a community in the life of this church. If you look with me again at chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, I don't want to read them again, but I do want to refer there. On the basis of what God has done for us in Christ, God now calls us a chosen race. And notice there that he doesn't call us merely chosen individuals, but a chosen race. 
We are, of course, saved and chosen as individual people. Of course that's true. But when we're brought into the body of Christ, we're brought into something that's much greater than ourselves. We are a chosen race, not just chosen persons. We are a people that Christ is unifying by the power of His own blood. We are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. We work directly for the King of Kings, beloved, and so in a very real sense, we who believe in Christ are royalty. We are this by grace, and so there is no room whatsoever for boasting, but we are royalty in Jesus Christ because we work for the King of Kings, and the emphasis here is on the we. As I have said to you many times, life in Christ is life together. We are a royal priesthood, not just priests. We are a holy nation of people. We are a people who have been set apart by God to be his own possession. And of course, we as individuals belong to Jesus. The individual is not destroyed in the building of the collectivity of the church, right? But we are more than merely individuals. We are a people of God for God's own possession. He has saved us to be a race, a priesthood, a nation, a people for his own possession. Life in Christ is life together. And to pursue one another is to cooperate with the work of Christ in our midst. To fail to pursue one another is to work against the work of Christ in our midst. The emphasis on community in the life of this church is deeply rooted in the vision of Jesus for his church and in the work of Jesus in his church. It's not a superficial vision we have. And no matter what the difficulties, we have to keep pressing on because this is indeed the work of Christ. We are far from where we need to be, but we must press on because Christ will never quit. He will never give up. He will never stop until we become one as he and the Father are one. Now in recent days, There's been a lot of discussion in our church and and at times some tense discussion about how we're structuring for community in the life of this church. A few weeks ago at our quarterly meeting, we had an interesting discussion that got intense at times, and I've told you before that even though it was somewhat tense, I and the elders are very grateful to you because when there's honest and open communication, there's always hope. Where there's humility, there's always hope. We cannot deal with problems when people refuse to articulate the problems. And this is one area in Minnesota that we really have to press upon ourselves. The, the, the honorable parts of Minnesota nice are honorable. But the dishonorable parts of Minnesota nice are destructive to the gospel. And probably the most important one of those is this penchant to be silent, not to express difficulty and then just walk away. That's not good. It's not Christ-like. It won't work for us going forward. And so I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, we deeply appreciate people expressing their hearts in the quarterly meeting about your feelings, about what's been going on as far as the structure for community life here. It's not just your thoughts, but your feelings that matter to us. We need to hear so that then we as elders can pray and ask the Lord what he would have us do. So I thank you. I really, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. My mom used to say to the kids in our family, she said to me a thousand times, you you won't always get your way, but you will always get your say. And I like that. You won't always get your way, but you'll always get your say. She would tell us, your parents can't always do everything that you want us to do, but we are willing to listen to you and to consider what you're saying. And I think that kind of atmosphere is very important for a healthy family. 
I think it's very important for a healthy church. We simply must have an atmosphere where people are free to express their thoughts, their desires, their feelings, even when their feelings are intense. Even sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm overcome with emotion, my feelings become irrational. My words become irrational. But even then, we need to hear that. We need to listen to that. We need to deal with that because there's something underneath it. We simply must have an atmosphere in the life of the church where open communication is acceptable, where it's okay. We must have an atmosphere where the elders are willing to listen, to hear, to prayerfully consider what the Lord is saying through the words of the people. And then we also must have an atmosphere, though, where the elders will boldly, before the Lord, lead the church in the way that Jesus is calling us to go, right? No, no group of leaders can please everybody. So what we have to do is hear, pray, and move. That's what we have to do. And that's what, as your elders, we hope to do with as much humility as we possibly can. Again, I want to thank so much those of you who were there and who expressed your heart. I want you to know we care about what you think. We care about what you feel. And we have listened. We have made some, some uh, adjustments to what we're doing. Yesterday, I sent out an email to you. If you're on our email list, you receive that with an attachment it's about three pages long and describes a number of things that are changing. Some things are staying the same. But I want to just describe for you now four things. Just very quickly uh, mention four things. And then if you did not receive that document and you want it, please let me know because I will get it to you. First of all, I want you to know that we are going to continue to promote this vision. The vision of the elders is that we would like the members and regular attenders of our church to gather with people who generally live in their area to love one another, and to love their neighbors. That's the simple vision for community life. Gather with other believers who, generally speaking, live in your area to love each other and to love your neighbors. That's all we're asking for. Whatever the details are, that's the vision. That's the heart. We understand that the ideal is not always possible. We're not following people around to say, hey, wait a second, you're going to a group that's not in your area. You should be back over here. And we, you know, we're not the community group police. We're not going to do that. We trust the Lord. We trust you. But we ask you to hear and prayerfully consider the vision. If our people will gather basically where they live to love each other, they might have a shot at reaching people in their community. They might have a shot at being a light for Jesus Christ in their community. Sometimes God draws outside the box, and that's okay. But mainly, I'm just asking you to hear our vision. And I'm wanting you to know that as we have gone before Jesus, we have not just talked with each other, but we have gone before Jesus. And we feel that this is his vision for his church. This is a vision we've had for seven plus years now, beloved. And I want to ask you to consider the possibility that the elders have rightly discerned Christ's vision for the church. I'll tell you, in our hearts, it will not die. It just simply will not die. We considered scrapping the whole system and doing something else. And it's like the Lord said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Adjustments, amen. But there's something to the vision that he's given us that's coming from his heart, not from our mouths. We're humble to hear what you have to say, but I'm asking you to be humble and prayerfully consider that as well. Number two, formerly, the elders were asking the leaders of the community groups to be at an elder level or a deacon level or moving toward that. And the reason we were asking for that is because we wanted those leaders to help us shepherd the families in the church. We wanted to care for every single family. We didn't want to lose a single name. 
we feel before Jesus that we will account for every name that calls glory of Christ fellowship their home, and, and, and that weighs upon us. So we needed some system where we could keep our eyes on everybody in the best sense of the word. But in practical life, the, this just became a burden too heavy for some of our community group leaders to be considered the sort of the pastor of that group. It's just too much. And so we've adjusted the requirements for a community group leader, and now basically what we're looking for is a maturing Christian that's committed to glory of Christ, that is willing to host a group at their home one to two times per month. You don't have to be the leader of all those people in the group. You're just facilitating a discussion at your home. And so we've gone from the community group leaders needing to basically be elders or deacons to now being facilitators of meetings. And those facilitators will be accountable to elders. We have all that worked out. Some of the details are in the document. But mainly what I want you to know is we've changed the standard for leadership to help us take pressure off the leaders and also be a little bit more dynamic. And we feel that the Lord has given us that wisdom and we're grateful to him for it. And we're grateful to you for being honest with us because that helped us to see to be honest with you, there were some folks for two years or so were being quiet, silent, and not telling us about pressures that were there. And we needed to hear. And when we did hear, we heard you. Third thing, this is a big thing. Men's and women's ministry will no longer be under the banner of the community groups. Our vision before was that if men could meet with men and women could meet with women in the groups and then meet together as a group, that there would be a good dynamic there. But again, in practice, it's just not clicking with the church for whatever reason. So we're just letting this go completely. And what we're saying is now as elders, we want you to focus on the all-group community group meetings But when it comes to men's and women's ministry, we want to encourage men to meet with men. We want to encourage women to meet with women. There are certain things that happen when we get in gender-specific meetings, aren't there? So we want to encourage that, but we're going to leave all the details to you. And we're not mad at you about this, by the way. Just know this isn't like the elders going, well, fine, just have your way. I'm telling you, it's not like that. Please don't hear it like that. We heard your hearts. Even if we have disagreements about model issues, we heard you. You are free. If you want to have a Bible study and invite anybody from anywhere on the planet, go ahead. I'm serious. Do what God puts on your heart to do. It was never, ever our heart to suppress your heart for Jesus. Never. But whatever we were trying to do wasn't clicking, so that's okay. You're free in Christ. Do what God puts on your heart to do. All we ask is that you be a team player and help us protect the health of the community groups. That's all we ask. And that'll take a little bit of work, a little bit of communication, but it's no big deal. God will help us through that. If you want to start a Bible study, just tell an elder right now. And then this year, we're going to be helping the women uh, put together a women's leadership team and help the men put together a men's leadership team so that there'll be somebody to sort of vet things like this. Because we don't want someone sort of going through a Joel Osteen video series or something. You know, best, let's, we're going to do a best life now Bible study. No, we're not going to do that. So we have to have our eyes to some degree, but that's not a matter of micromanaging. That's just a matter of of good, healthy shepherding. Number four, this is not a change. This is a clarification, but I do want to be as clear as I can. We have talked about biblical counseling a lot over the last two years and will continue to do so, but, but there has been confusion in what we mean by this. The term biblical counseling seems to imply the situation where there's an official counselor and some counselees. There's a bunch of expertise here and there's a bunch of need there. It implies a kind of clinical relationship. And someday we hope to be able to provide that level of counseling at a broad level. 
But right now, what we're really trying to focus on is to inspire the people of the church to apply the Word of God to one another's lives. In other words, we're speaking biblical counsel into each other's lives. We want to train everybody to be rich with the Word of God and understand how to apply the Word of God to actual life situations so that we can be helpful to each other. Then on the basis of that foundation, which we hope to always be growing in, we have uh, decided as elders that every elder of this church will pursue a certificate in biblical counseling. The certificate is granted by the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Pastors Mike and Jordan, or uh, uh, Jordan and Kevin, will be the first two to be pursuing this certificate beginning this, this coming February. After that, Mike and I will follow when God allows time and resources. And then in the future, any elder that comes on, we will give that elder two years to get certified in biblical counseling because we want to have a modicum of skill in offering helpful counsel to the life of the church. In addition to the elders, we're calling upon anybody who feels called and gifted in the area of biblical counseling to join us in this. You are welcome to come with us down to Lafayette, Indiana, where we have to go for the training. You're welcome to come down with us, go through the training, and and begin pursuing a certificate in biblical counseling. We're not guaranteeing you that if you get the certificate, we'll lift you up as a counselor. I mean, obviously, we've got to get to know you a little bit and build some trust, but we're trusting that God will give some people in this church to be very skilled at offering counsel to individuals, to, to couples, to families, to any situations. So right now, we're saying learn the skill of applying the Word of God together. This is what we mean by biblical counseling. If something comes to you that's over your head, please come to the elders. You are free to come to us. And if that situation is over our heads, we'll either bring it to Jesus with you or we do have counselors outside of this church that we trust very much, that we have worked with in the past and that have borne fruit in the past. So again, what we're trying to do is become skilled at loving one another through offering good biblical counsel to one another. That's really the vision here. There are more details involved, beloved, but I will leave it to you to read that document. And again, if you didn't receive it and you want it, please let me know and I will make sure uh, to get it to you. But for now, I want to call on you again to pray with faith that God will use us as vessels of grace toward one another. I want to ask you to pray with me that we would fix our eyes upon Jesus and stand under the flood of his grace and learn to be rivers rather than reservoirs of that grace to each other, that we would shower grace in every direction and learn to love one another with the love with which Christ has loved us. Let me now just say a couple of words about the area of mission. I'm not going to say very much, and then I will draw our message to a close. Peter teaches us that Christ has done what he has done. You can see this right about in the middle of that text. So that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Christ has lavished grace upon us that we might proclaim his grace to a lost and dying world. Christ has clothed us with his glory that we might beam with glory into the darkness that is this world. Christ has chosen us to know him and he has commanded us to go with him to make disciples in our neighborhoods and in our nations. Beloved, it is an un speakable privilege to know Jesus Christ. The more you understand of who he is, the more you will just be blown away 
by the privilege of getting to know him. It is a privilege to love one another with the love of Christ, to be intimately related to other people that Christ has put his eternal seal upon. It is a tremendous privilege. In the last few years I have taken, when I pray for my wife, I, I don't know if some of you remember, when we went through the Pentateuch, I preached about the Holy of Holies and you know the tabernacle and all of that. And I did so much study that I have a kind of a picture in my mind of what that would look like. And so when I pray for Kim, I pray for her imagining that I'm in that place, that I'm in the very presence of God. And when I pray for her there, I see the, the glory that Jesus has put upon her and it helps my heart to feel and think differently about her. And it helps me to love her differently when I come out of my prayer closet. And I feel the same way about the church, about every Christian I meet. It is an unbelievable privilege to be connected to people who are connected to Christ. But there's more joy for us, beloved. God does not want us simply to stop there. To know the fullness of his grace and joy, we must overflow with his grace and joy even as he overflowed to us. This is Christ's work in us. It's not something we do for him. He flows through us. We don't have to make sales for him. But oh, the joy that is there for us when we learn to be vessels of grace toward unbelievers. The Thursday before Kim and I left for California, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with a young man who's like this close to coming to Jesus. I've been following up with him, and I'm, it's so intriguing that God connected me with this guy in kind of a, just a crazy way that nobody would expect. But he, just like me, got into a bind in his life. He found a Bible. He picked it up. He started reading it, and God is speaking. And he just called the church to say, hey, can I talk to somebody? I'm reading the Bible. I don't know what I'm reading. Can you help me? It's like, yeah, sure, I think I can do that. I don't know what the outcome will be. I have no idea what the outcome will be, but I'll tell you already what joy there is in being a vessel of grace to someone else who's just coming to know Jesus Christ. Last night, I went to Walmart, and if you're looking for somebody who needs Jesus, (laughs) there's always somebody at Walmart who needs Jesus. I promise you that, especially if you go there after 10 p.m. It's like huge, huge need. But I went there for medicine for my sick wife, and I got up to the cash register, and while I'm there, uh, there's somebody in front of me and the, and the cashier begins to tell her, I don't know if they know each other or what, but she begins to tell her about somebody in her family who's got blood clots and is in the hospital and it's a dire situation. And I didn't quite get all the details because I kind of came in halfway into the conversation. So while I'm standing there, I just sensed the spirit saying to me, ask her about that. So I did. Now it's my turn and I say, said, I, I, I missed the detail. Who is it that's got a blood clot? And she said it was her grandfather. He's been sick for a while. He's in the hospital in Princeton. Things aren't good. She's concerned. And I just said quickly, I only bought three things, so I had to get out of there quick. But I said, well, you know, just as God would have it, I happen to be a pastor, and I just want you to know, me and my wife are going to be praying for you, and I really mean that. And I wish I could tell you that, like, you know, flowers fell out of the sky and the stars shone from heaven, but the truth is, it was, like, super awkward, She's like, oh, she got really awkward. She grabbed my receipt, wouldn't even look at me. I felt super awkward. I was like, wow, this is weird. But but especially this morning as I was lifting her up in prayer, I felt so much joy because I don't know what God is up to, but I know God put me in that place at that moment. I know he did. Think about it. If I had done one more thing or one less thing, I wouldn't have been at that cash register right at that exact second to hear those exact words and to tell her that I'm praying for her in Jesus' name. God has a design, and what a joy it is just to be a vessel of grace. You know what I mean? I feel no pressure to go out in our city and make sales for Jesus today. I don't have to make converts. I just want to say, Lord, 
I'm available to you. If you would use me today, use me today. So I want to challenge you with all the joy that I can muster to begin to pray for people. Pray if you don't have a particular person you're praying for. Begin to pray by name with faith that God would use you as a vessel of grace to win somebody to Jesus. I want everybody in this church to know the joy of leading somebody to know the joy that's in Jesus Christ. So let's just pray about it. If each one could just reach one, oh, the impact that we would have in our city, beloved. You don't have to feel the burden of, oh man, I got another thing to do. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I'm available. And if you'll set something up, I'll let you use me. Let's pray. Our Father, I'm so deeply grateful to you You are the Lord of the church. You are the Father of the church. You are the protector of the church. You are the one who prospers the church. You are the one who walks through us through valleys and who leads us up onto peaks at times. You are the one who brings us through trials and leads us through moments of tremendous victory. You have grace for every kind of moment that we face, and you have grace for this moment. And so I pray with all of my heart that we will fix our eyes upon you because The future of the church is always bright when our eyes are fixed on Christ. That's just the truth, Lord. So I pray that you would help us to gaze upon you, to stare at you, to trust in you, to hope in you, to surrender to you, to worship you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, to love one another with the love that you are giving to us, and to love the lost, to pursue the lost for the glory of your name and the joy of our souls. Oh Lord, let us not just talk about these things in church, but give us the grace to live this way of life. And Father, I want to thank you by faith, as though it's already all happened. I want to thank you for the fruit that you will bear in and through glory of Christ fellowship. You are a good God who has made good promises, and you will keep your promises. And so we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.